Welcome to Arise Church, where we exist so that you can experience God. I pray that this message will encourage, inspire, and grow your faith in God. Enjoy the message. Uh, super excited what God is about to do in our midst. Hey, we always want to celebrate as we get started. Um, we had uh, six people baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of tongues uh, this week through a minister in our church. Yep. Love how God uses not only in our church settings, but the ministers in our church as they go other places and God's using them. And that's all through you. That's all part of uh, the DNA that we get to cultivate here at our church. Uh, so so um, if you know me, then you know this about me. I'm a bit of a wannabe philosopher. And so I spend a lot of time sitting around thinking, which some people hate. Like to me, it's like heaven. And uh, so I was sitting around thinking like week before last. What do you think people thought they looked like before the invention of mirrors? Things that make you say, hmm. Because you had reflective surfaces, you know, a thousand years ago, two thousand years ago. You had water, but water's not a good reflection of you because it has ripples in it and stuff like that. And, and so you did have some certain reflective surfaces, um, surfaces but, but they were usually distorted one way or another. And so you get this kind of distorted view of yourself. And you only get to see that, like the wealthy might have some kind of reflective surface. Um, but, but, you know, everybody else only got to see it when you go down to the lake. Right? So, and you got to look at certain angle of the lake and, and the water. And it's like, what, what do you think people thought they looked like? Because you might have had ugly people that thought they were good looking and good looking people that thought they were ugly. <laughs> maybe we still have good looking people that think they're ugly and ugly people who think they're good looking. Uh, you know, maybe God looks at the heart and we're so uh, looking on the outside that we actually have ugly people that think they're good looking. But that's a whole other message. Um, uh, thinking about that, we're, we're so attractive to other people, but we're not attractive to the Holy Spirit sometimes. That has nothing to do with this message. It just came out of my mouth. So, so I'm thinking about this idea, like, because, you know, in the 1600s, they invented the, the mirror, um, kind of more like what we'd have as a mirror from the, from the metal surfaces that were reflective. In 1835, I think it was, they invented the mirror as we have it today. And so we have, that's far more common today. But what do people think back then? Like, you always hear these stories of people that, like, like you know, they're on a job site, a construction worker, and they get shot in the head with a nail, and they don't even know it till they go home. And their wife is like, bro, you got a nail in your head, right? Um, you always hear those kind of stories and you're like, did people like have injuries and not even realize it until they could see themselves in a mirror? Come, come on. Are you, are you, are you? This is where my mind goes. I'm sorry. This is just the way my mind's worked. And then I started thinking about this. Like what if when they looked in the reflective surfaces, the, the surfaces that they looked at reflected a distorted image back to them? Right, so, so if you look in the water and you got ripples in the water, it could, it could affect the way you're thinking that you look like. So you actually might think you look one way, but actually look a different way. <laughs> right, are you, and I was thinking about this, and I was thinking about like funhouse mirrors. Remember going to the funhouse when you were a kid at the carnival or strawberry festival or, or state fair or whatever you guys have in New York, because I know most of you are from there. Um, Jersey, Jersey, Jersey is a funhouse. Um, and thinking about that, like, what does it look like in a funhouse mirror? Because you get a funhouse mirror and you could have, like, skinny people look fat, fat people look skinny, short people look tall, whatever. Make your legs long, make your neck long, whatever. Um, and then I started thinking about this, like, if, if, if I had thought about it, like, a great church strategy for encouraging people would be to have all skinny mirrors in your church. Come on. Because, you know, there's some mirrors that make you look heavier and some that make you look... Like, we got one in our bedroom that I like looking at myself in that mirror in our bedroom. I don't know what it is. It's probably why Ada allows it in our bedroom, but I like that one. 
Meanwhile, we got one in the green room back here that every time I look at it, I'm like, I, I am not looking at myself in that mirror. Like, I swear I gain 20 pounds every time I look at the mirror. And, um, and I'm like, what if the church, like from the beginning, if all of our mirrors had been like the kind that make you look a little better than you are, right? I'm like, man, that would be a great church growth strategy. It's not, not really. I'm just saying, in my head, I think these kind of thoughts. <coughs> I digress. The purpose of me talking all about this, though, is that you could look in a funhouse mirror, and if all you ever saw was the funhouse mirror, what if you actually thought your neck was that long? Or your legs were that long. Because that's all you ever saw was that distorted reflection back at you. And if that's all you ever saw, you would assume that's the truth. But the fact is that that truth is not the truth. It's a distorted version of the truth. Um, You know, Solomon wrote in uh, Proverbs 27 this beautiful poetic imagery. He wrote this. He wrote, as water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. Like, that's poetic right there. That's just, that's just beautiful. That's well-written if, you, if you're into poetry and stuff. As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. That's so, so, so nicely written and so beautiful to see. And it makes me wonder, your life, according to this, will reflect what you believe about yourself in your heart. That's an interesting thing. Um, but what if, what if, what if, What if we've been looking through a distorted mirror for a long time and assuming that it's true? Just assuming what we see reflecting back on us is correct, and we actually see ourselves through a wrong mirror, believing that to be truth, but it's completely untrue because we're not looking at the truth of a mirror that works correctly. Does this make sense to anybody? What if, let me make it simpler. What if what you believe about yourself is not actually true. It's because you've been looking through a tainted mirror. And when you look back at yourself, I believe this about myself because this is what I see in myself. But what you're seeing is just a distorted view of what should be there. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a few moments today. Let's unpack this. Let's talk about it. Number one, if you're taking notes, if you're filling in the blanks, all that kind of stuff. We frequently battle negative inward perspectives of ourselves because we're, because we're viewing ourselves through distorted mirrors. So this is a common problem that we have, right? We look at ourselves through distorted mirrors. We look at ourselves through things that are not true and think they're true. Uh, What are you talking about? So, So back in the Killing Spiders series a month ago, I, in the very first message, I described something that seemed to resonate with a lot of people in this room. You could see your body language, a lot of head nods. And I started talking about ants. It's a series on spiders, but I talked about ants. Automatic negative thoughts. Uh, I think it's technically automatic negative thought syndrome is what it's called, but, but it's uh, people just say automatic negative thoughts. Ants. These ants that corrupt our lives. They are automatic. They're a habit. <coughs> Forgive me, I'm dealing with a cough, and a lot of people have already given me cough drops, so don't give me any more. Um, <laughs> but they're automatic. You don't think about them. You don't plan them. They're, they're, they're habits. They're habits we get into at some point in our lives where we naturally, habitually start thinking negative thoughts. And, and they're oftentimes destructive. In fact, last week we were talking about the brain and, and all this. And, and we have about, on average, they say 48.6 thoughts uh, per minute, which is about 70,000 thoughts 
per day. Here's what I didn't share with you last week. Of those thousands of thoughts that we have every single day, 70% of those thoughts, according to research, are negative, pessimistic, uh, uh, self, uh, 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 self-critical, um, fearful. 70% of your thoughts, inwardly, not outwardly, maybe outwardly too, I don't know, but inwardly, the things that go on in your brain, 70% of them are negative in nature. Isn't that interesting? These ants, automatic negative thoughts. Negative thoughts always crashing through your mind. Can anybody relate to that? It's like you want to think positive, but you find yourself constantly thinking negative. And when you see this in the Christian circles, you've probably already all seen this. I say it's like country song Christianity. You know, my life is over. It's done. They took away my trailer. My front porch caved in, killed my dogs. My truck tires are flat, whatever. Like it's country song Christianity and everything is always the glass is half empty, not half full, right? Um, it's like this Eeyore spirit. Oh, pastor, I don't know what God's going to do, but it's, it's uh, probably not in your lifetime. It's just going to be bad, pastor. And like this Eeyore spirit that goes around the church, man, and it starts to affect us all the time. Um, if you didn't resonate, resonate with those examples, how about this one? Because this happens to me all the time. Um, if Ada is late and she's not answering her phone, nowadays we have the Life360 app, which tells me where she is. That's a godsend. But if she's late and she's not answering her phone, for the first 30 minutes, I'm good. After about an hour, I start doubting. Two hours into it, I start thinking the worst. You ever been there? Like, like what, if, what if she was at the mall and she got kidnapped and there's a human trafficking ring and now she's on a ship being shipped out to Asia or whatever, you know what I mean? And before I know it, if I'm not careful, these, these negative thoughts start going in. I mean, they start going somewhere. Anybody relate to that? Ty, our, our 19-year-old son, um, uh, Friday night, you know, he's in college and all that. He sends us a text. He's going to be out late. Uh, his phone's not charging, um, blah, blah, blah. So he's like, might not be able to get a hold of me. I'm going to be out late and da, da, da. So Ada is the mom. She's very different than me in the way she handles these things. Ada's like, well, you need to tell us when you're back to your dorm because, you know, you're not going to be home till 2, 2.30 in the morning or whatever. And so text us when you get back to your dorm. Well, um, I was up really late that night, sorry. Um, but I went to bed at like 2, a little after 2 a.m., uh, Ada wakes up. She's like, have you heard from Ty? I'm like, no. I'm good with that. He's a man. If it was my daughter, it might be different, but it's a man. He's good with him. He can handle himself. Ada, on the other hand, gets up, nervous wreck. I'm just going to sleep. I could, you know, sorry, Ty. I trust you. <laughs> Ada's texting, texting, calling, calling. Finally, she hears from me, blah, blah. But your mind just goes to the worst, doesn't it? 70% of those thoughts that we have, like they just go downhill. Like your mind's water runs downhill. And, and it's, one thing when it's, it's one thing when it's like one thought, but it grows. Like it gets bigger. Like one ant turns into five ants, turns into a, a picnic ruining ant fest where you come in. And what happens is it begins to steal your joy. It has the ability to, 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 to uh, take away your joy. So, so you have the one bad test score and then you feel like I'm gonna fail the class. All right, you have the one bad um, thing at work and you feel like it's just gonna ruin everything forever. And if you're not careful, it just totally steals your joy because one ant turns into another ant and it becomes overwhelming. You can do the picnic when you got two or three ants because you just wove them off. But when one ant turns into a million ants and your picnic is ruined, all of a sudden you want to live a life full of joy. But all these thoughts are just negative all the time. And there's rarely any, any truth in them. 
Maybe that's why, uh, you know, the Bible, God's pretty smart. And um, maybe that's why in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, he said, he, he said this. He said, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought and make it obedient to Christ. We're catching ants, putting them in a jar and studying them. Is this God's word over me or is this me just being negative, right? And, and Paul wrote in Philippians, he wrote to the Philippian church and he said, finally, brothers and sisters, <laughs> if I were being, it would be like exasperated finally. Finally, brothers and sisters, that's how I picture him saying it. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think on those things. Stop thinking on everything wrong with the world. Think on what's right with the world. Stop thinking everything wrong with you. Start thinking what's right with you. But what happens so frequently is we've taught ourselves to look at ourselves negatively through years of habitually training our mind to think about ourselves in a negative context. See, you may have believed a lie uh, due to a distorted view of yourself, this distorted mirror, and then you've reinforced it by years of belief and self-talk. Somebody partnered with something you said into your brain one time. You said, I'm not good enough. That person also said, you're not good enough. Now you have a full-fledged lie that's been birthed. Now you have accepted the lie. And for 30, 40, 50, 60 years of your life, however long, you've been saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. You've been partnering with this lie for so long, whatever it is. And it was never true in the first place, but you're convinced of it because you've told yourself so many times. You know, if you just say something enough times, you'll believe it. And so we, we, we tell ourselves that and we end up with this inner critic that's constantly like bombarding us with everything we're not doing right. If you're a perfectionist, it's even worse because nothing is ever perfect and nothing is ever quite good enough. And, and like, 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 you know, we have, we have a, 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 everybody always says like, if you had a narrator of your life, it would be Morgan Freeman, right? Yes. Come on. It's gotta be, if somebody's narrating your life, you want Morgan Freeman. But most of us end up with Samuel L. Jackson. <laughs> and this critical, what are you thinking? Why would you do that? Come on, you're better than that. Why are you going through your head? You idiot, you stupid fool. And we wouldn't necessarily say it out of our mouths, but that inner critic yells at us inside. And to me, my inner critic voice sounds like Samuel L. Jackson a lot more than Morgan Freeman. And we focus on what's wrong. So we, so we pull out a mirror and we focus on everything in the mirror that's wrong. Every zit. Every calic that won't go down. Come on. And by the way, this is a difference between men and women when we look at the mirror. Women will look at the mirror and go, oh, I got to put makeup on, cover up this. I got I to gotta fix this. I'm not as beautiful as I once was. I've gained 15 pounds. I can't fit into that dress. I got to whatever. And they'll look at the mirror and women see all the imperfections in themselves. Men can be 50 pounds overweight. Look in the mirror and go, oh, I still got it. Look at this. Yeah, I've gained some weight. Oh, but she's lucky to be married to this, you know. It's a difference, man. Like, like we're, we're so different the way we look at ourselves in the mirror. But when it, when it comes to the mirrors of life, sometimes our joy ends up being robbed because we're looking at a distorted mirror that was never true in the first place. And it's causing us these negative thoughts. Negative thoughts. Secondly, it affects our ability to reach our potential. All of a sudden we get full of fear and we can't step out and reach the potential that God's given us to reach. I, I love the old Henry Ford quote. It says, whether you think you can or whether you think you can't, 
you're right. <laughs> Come on, somebody. It, it, so much of it is what you think. Can you or can't you? What you think that nobody else sees. It's invisible going on behind the scenes. Uh, uh, and I was thinking about this and I thought to myself, you will act like what you believe about yourself. I've said that plenty of times in this church. What you believe about yourself matters. You will always act like what you think about yourself. may not be true, but you'll act like on that truth. But you will believe what you say about yourself. Why? Because there's this prophetic nature to words. Like, like you know, um, I don't want to be like ultra theological for a second or anything, but, but just stay with me. Like, like God spoke and created everything. That means words are probably a lot more powerful than we give them credit for. We say stupid things. Sticks and stones may hurt and break my bones, but words will never... Come on. Words will do far more damage than sticks and stones will and last a whole lot longer. And so, so words are incredibly powerful, which is what we talk about when we talk about prophetic things because it's what you're speaking out of your mouth, right? There's this, there's this nature of words, and especially if they find agreement. So it's one thing if I speak something, if somebody comes up to me and they say, Brent, you're the worst pastor ever, I'm going to be like, I don't care. I'm not living for your approval. I don't care what you think about me. But, but, if I'm already going, Brent, you're the worst pastor ever, internally, and somebody comes up and they say those words, all of a sudden, if I'm not careful, I will create an agreement. Because what was spoken is what was spoken in me. And now all of a sudden, I'm agreeing with it. And now every time I look in my distorted mirror, I'm the worst pastor in the world. I'm the worst pastor in the world. Are you with me? Are you with me? It's incredible. Uh, Proverbs 18, 21, very famous word, uh, verse says, the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. So we have to be people that are giving positive self-talk, not negative self-talk. The stuff going on, like, like we're going to be honest before God, but we're going to be giving positive things, not negative things. Therefore, when somebody says something, I'm going to partner with the positive thing they say right? Uh, you know, your, your, your school teacher, your boss, whatever, they say something positive over you. Now I can agree with that word and start living out that word. <coughs> I was thinking about this and uh, thinking how um, uh, there's this new fad like in the last four or five years or so of these shirts that keep coming out um, of, of different funny things. And, uh, and I was thinking about these shirts and like this one says pastor because devil stomping ninja is not an official job title. <laughs> right. What, what if pastors actually agreed with that instead of agreeing with all the lowly Eeyore mentality that goes on inside of our minds? Cause, cause ministries can be hard and it can be depressing. Can be, you know, it can be tough. What if we actually agreed with that rather than the opposite? You know what I'm saying? And so, so what if it was in your life? What if we agreed with the positive things that are being said about you instead of the negative things that are being said about you? It would change everything. And by the way, some people think that being negative about yourself is humility. That is not humility. Humility is not walking around going, I'm just nobody and nobody. That's not humility. Humility is thinking rightly of yourself. It's not thinking lowly of yourself. It's not being over-exalting uh, of yourself or under-exalting. It's thinking rightly of yourself is what humility is. So, so don't mistake um, negative self-talk for humility. It's not the same thing at all. Uh, and then lastly, this affects your ability to be used by God. What happens so often is we start to live in fear because of a distorted mirror and God can't use us for this reason or that reason. Uh, and this fear uh, begins to overwhelm us. And before you know it, um, we shrink God into our size, which we think so small of ourselves. So, so God, you are great and you are big, but I think so small of myself. I'm so small. Therefore, you can't use me because I'm so 
little. And, and you see this uh, throughout the Bible in, in multiple examples. And I just want to say that if God calls you, you are qualified. Like, I know we've said that lots of times, but, but I want you to really get it. Like, like, if God calls you, you're qualified based on the call, not because of anything you've done, good or bad. Um, I, I was with um, a, a, a famous pastor by the name of Dan Betzer a few years ago. I was interviewing him for a thing uh, in front of an audience, and I'm sitting in a chair, he's sitting in a chair, and I'm asking him questions. And if you've ever heard of Dan Betzer or seen him, he was the voice of revival time for years on the radio, uh, older guy, and just retired from ministry recently. And, and, and I'm asking him these questions, and Dan just like sucks you in. He's got that deep radio voice that, that I wish I had. It's my negative self-talk. Right? I wish I had that voice. And so Dan's got this, this awesome voice. He sucks you in. And I'll never forget Dan Betzer said, he said, son, I can't even do it. Son, 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 whatever. He said, God could call anybody he wanted to call. And if God chose you, that means that you must be the greatest person that he could have called. So are you a better judge of who God can use, or is God a better judge of who God can use? I'm like, okay. Listen, if God's called you to do it, it's because you're the best person to do it. He could have called anybody, but he called you. And you can say, oh, I'm not the best judge, but now you're, not, not, now you're going against God's nature. Is he a liar or are you a liar? Maybe it's a distorted mirror we're looking at. So in the Bible, you have all kinds of examples of people who looked in wrong mirrors, right? You can go all the way back here to, to uh, uh, Sarah, right? Uh, we'll just start in Genesis and move forward a little bit. Sarah, Sarah, I'm going I'm to blind some of you with this, sorry. Sarah, Sarah, God calls call Sarah. <coughs> God calls Sarah to have a child. And she says, no, 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 not me, God. Why? Because she's 90 stinking years old. A hundred by the time she has the child. 90 years old, so she laughs at God. You would laugh at God too. Come on. You're like, come on, God, that's just crazy. Why? Because we see in the image when it's reflected back at us, our physical impediments could be our age in this case. Nope, not me. Not me, God. You must have the wrong person. And we allow when we look in the mirror to see Every reason God can't use me and not any reason that God can use me. So God, I'm too old for this. Listen, if God's called you, it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. You got, you got Timothy, who is probably a teenager pastoring a church in the New Testament. And then you have Abraham, who's really old. You have Noah, who's really, really old that God is still using. Don't, don't let age or any kind of impediment like that about your physical body be some reason God can't use you. That, that's absolutely ridiculous. Uh, how about Moses, right? Moses is awesome Um, because uh, Moses five times at the burning bush shows God his mirror. He keeps making excuses. In verse 11 of chapter 3 of Exodus, it says, But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? No, God, God, you should probably have chosen somebody. He's like, Who am I? Right? Uh, Verse 13, he says, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent sent, sent me to you. And and they ask me, What's his name? What shall I tell them? So he's making an excuse. Uh, Chapter 4, verse 1, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say the Lord did not appear to you? Uh, Verse 10, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent. I'm not a good speaker. He probably stuttered, a lot of people believe. Neither in the past nor since have you spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. And my favorite is verse 13. Everybody just look at that for the sake of me. Pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. (laughs) 
Like, like God, I have made every excuse that I can make. I'm done. Just, just, there's lots of people on the planet. You can use one of them. Finally, God's like, listen, I'll send Aaron beside you if it makes you feel a little better about life, but you're the guy. You're the guy. But what is it? What is it? What, what mirror is Moses looking at? One, you see that he apparently stuttered or had some kind of speech impediment that, that, that he's going to listen. Of all the people to stand before Pharaoh, I'm probably not the best one. But you also have to remember that, that Moses was a murderer. He was out in the desert for 40 years because he was escaping. He was escaping what was due him. He should have been put in prison. I can't go back. God, you don't know who I am. You don't know what I've done. And God's known, I know exactly who you are and I don't care what you have done. I care what you're going to do. But, but Moses can't see it because when Moses looks in the mirror, he sees all of his imperfections. He sees all of his, his screwed up life and all the decisions he's made that are wrong. He sees his, his lack of eloquence whenever he speaks. And he's like, God, this can't be me. But then he does finally lead them out of Israel or leads them out of bondage. And the Israelites have the same kind of mirror going on. They, they, they see the problems that, that are in front of them. And they're like, Moses, why don't you just kill us in Egypt? The first sign of problems, you see them looking at life and looking in the mirror full of fear of the problem. The Israelites are a great example of this. The spirit of fear is different than, than just having fears. There's some fears that are natural that are good. I, uh, I hope you have a fear of snakes, you know, at least the poisonous ones. I hope you have enough fear of alligators that you don't go up and slap them on the nose. Right? But, but there's a different type of fear that follows people around. Fear's a funny thing. There's an object to your fear that's out here, but it always manifests inside of you. So, so we're seeing this right now with what's happening with our world on all kinds of levels. There's political fear, there's COVID fear, and, and fear will drive you to keep doing things over and over. And so the news and things like that are trying to get you full of fear because it'll keep you watching it. Um, and so, so you see this spirit of fear where the people of Israel are full of fear the object keeps changing of what their fear is. I don't have time to preach this. This would be a whole other great message. But the people of Israel constantly live in fear as they're running out of bondage. Right now, it's about the Egyptians. Later, it's going to be about food. And then it's going to be about water. And then it's going to be about this thing and that thing. There's a spirit of fear across America right now that wants to attach itself to you. And it's going to be COVID today. It'll be politics tomorrow. It'll be something else, something else, something else. And the, the issue of fear is in you. <laughs> That's why I say it's a spirit of fear. The issue of fear is in you. The object of what you're fearful of will keep changing. But the issue is not what your fear is for of. It's actually in you. And you even ask people today and say, say what are we so scared of in our world today? What, what is it we're so scared of? And if you really sit down and start pondering that, you'll find that you probably don't really have near as much to be fearful of as you think you do. The only thing to be scared of is, or to be fearful of is fear itself. Anyway, but, but you see that with him. All of a sudden, the spirit of fear starts to come around. Here's, here's a great one. The, uh, where are they at? The, uh, the spies, the spies. So, so they finally get out of bondage and they're ready to go take over the promised land and they're ready to move forward. And the spies look in the mirror and what does it say? We seem like grasshopper in our own eyes. I get that part. I don't get the next part. And we look the same to them. How do you know what you look like in your enemy's eyes? How do you know what they're thinking about you other than you putting your own self-prognosis onto what they think? You know, you, you don't know. And so they're looking in the mirror and they're seeing themselves through their enemy's perspective. Why do you even care what your enemy thinks about you? Why does it even matter? What does it matter what God thinks about you? What does it matter what the, what, what, what the enemy thinks about you? And they said, listen, we 
are too small and we look like grasshoppers to ourselves and to them. Listen, I don't know what God has called you to do, but I promise you it'll be bigger than you. If you're doing it and it's not bigger than you, then it might not be God's calling. <laughs> if it doesn't scare you a little bit, if there's not something inside of you that you're like, man, I, I, I don't know if I can handle this or not. If God doesn't show up, this thing is going to fail miserably. If that's not in you, then it's probably not God calling on you. God will always call you to things that are bigger than you. And by the way, once you get into that thing, he'll keep calling you up. And so we always live on that place of, of ignorance where we're always on the edge of our seats. We're always at the place where, God, if you don't show up, I'm going to fall forward. <laughs> are you with me? <coughs> So you see that with the spies. One of my favorite stories is Gideon. Uh, Gideon is awesome. Um, so much in the Gideon story. Some of the early times God spoke to me in ministry was, was through the story of Gideon. And, and I love the Gideon story. Um, uh, look at this. It said, verse 12 says, When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said to him, The Lord is with you. What? Come on, read it. The Lord is with you. What? Mighty, mighty warrior. Like if God calls you a mighty warrior, bro, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty intense. How does he respond in verse 15? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. <laughs> God, you don't know who you're talking to calling me a mighty warrior, because I have a mirror of myself right here, and this mirror tells me that I am not enough. And it tells me that based on my grandparents' mistakes, my skin color, my background, the way I was raised, where I was raised. Listen, can I just remind somebody in here? It does not matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter how you were conceived, planned, unplanned, had a dad, didn't have a dad, had a mom and a dad, didn't have any of it. It doesn't matter where you grew up. What matters is the call of God on your life. And we spend way too much time focused on a reflection that's a distorted image back going, I'm not enough because I have this broken family lineage. Oh, I'm the weakest, God. You don't know who you're calling. God's always used the, the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. He's always done that. And in fact, <clears throat> in, in fact, if God's using you, you should never become prideful for it. Because you were probably pretty lowly, and that's why God chose to use you. I think it was Rich Mullins used to talk about this back in the day. He said, he said listen, um, if, 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 if God uses you, just remember that God used a horse, a donkey, an ass, okay? He used a, a, a donkey, an ass in the King James. <laughs> so don't get too excited about it if God's using you. You know the other side of it? Also, be careful who you ignore because God might be using them. You, you think, oh, well, they're, nope, they can't be speaking into my life. You might be shocked who God will use to speak into your life. <laughs> anyway, uh, so, so Gideon, Gideon had this, this whole mindset. Elijah, man, I, 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 I feel Elijah a little bit, man. Elijah, always feeling himself through his emotions, always seeing himself through this emotion that, that, that like, oh, I'm the last one left. All the other prophets are dead. You've killed them all. I'm the last one left. He gets so depressed in, in, in 1 Kings 19, 4, he says, uh, he came to a broom brush, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. He's suicidal. Why? Because he's emotional and instead of being realistic in the moment, he's looking at himself through emotions. Your emotions will always lie to you. They are a horrible indication of what is actually true. You will feel one way, and if you live by those feelings, you'll be in trouble. Yes. Amen. So he says, he says, I have had enough, Lord. Have you ever prayed that prayer? Yes. 
My God, I prayed that type of prayer. Take my life. I am no better than my ancestors. He's so emotional that the only truth he sees is that suicide is the way out. And I'm just so tired and so exhausted and this and that. And he sees himself through his weariness. He sees himself through his emotions. And that's always, always a bad place to see yourself from. That's always a negative place, man. We, we know it, but yet our emotions will control us. They'll make us say and do things that we would never normally say and do. Some people are in prison today because of what emotions led them to do in a moment. We got to be so cautious of living inside of emotions because here's what you need to hear about this. Your brain is incredible, as I told you last week, and it loves these habits and these negative habits that come into it. And so one thing leads to another and to another. And before you know it, this invisible imagination and thoughts that you have will affect the physical reality. Just, just very practically, do you realize that your imagination and your thought life will affect your blood pressure? Yes. Yes. You can start thinking about something, imaginary. Like you don't even, like it's not physical, it's just in your mind. Nobody else can see it and your blood pressure can go up or it can go down. This invisible world affects the physical world and we've got to be so cautious of acting out of our emotions, out of our emotions. But if I'm going to pick up, pick on all these biblical characters, I at least need to pick on myself a little bit, I guess. This one's too heavy to move. I'm not even going to try. Because if I'm being real honest with you and transparent, which I, th- I think I usually am, and just being real with you, I got my own distorted mirrors. And we could talk about a lot of them over time. I have talked about a lot of them with you at different times. But for this message, you know one of the key ones that comes up in my life a lot is I have an image of what manhood is supposed to be. I often see myself through this fake false internal expectations of what I'm supposed to be based on some image somewhere. And I'm picking it up, looking at myself saying, you're not enough. You know, you know where it really plays into is, um, especially with anything mechanical. Listen, um, if your car breaks down, don't call me. (laughs) You call me, I'll call a tow truck for you. Okay. Um, and, and like, I, I am horrible with mechanical stuff like that. Like, like I can do some other things, but like car engines don't make any sense to me. They never have. And for years in my life, I would get so frustrated that I couldn't fix something. And in my way of looking at myself, I thought men are supposed to be able to do this. So therefore I am less of a man. I am not good enough because I can't fix the car. To this day, I promise you, if I change the oil, something will go wrong. I'm not, I've had it happen. I'm like, everybody else can do it, not me. Something will go wrong. It'll blow up. I don't know. Um, And it just goes that way. I had a weed eater. God bless. I lost my salvation many times over this weed eater. I had to repent before Sunday morning. I had a weed eater. One moment it would start perfectly fine. The next week I would pull on a thing forever and it would never start. And I would lose my stinking mind over this weed eater. But it wasn't just the weed eater. It was an inward thing going, you're not good enough to fix this. A lot around this room, many of you are like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. But a lot of the men in the room, you know what I'm talking about. The women are like, what kind of, that's a picture of manhood. You could, whatever. But the men, you know what I'm talking about. Because you end up with these images of what you're supposed to be. And so I'd get so frustrated with that weed eater, man. I eventually went all electric. I got the battery-powered cobalt. I'm just making an advertisement right now. Gentlemen, you will live longer. Yes. <laughs> if you don't have to keep cleaning out carburetors. But my point is, my point is, I have this false image of what I think I'm supposed to be. 
which may not be what God created me to be. And as long as I look at this false image, I don't measure up. And that is frustrating. And all of a sudden, now all these negative thoughts start coming through my mind. And I go out to the weed eater. And before I even pick up the weed eater, I'm already having negative thoughts going, oh, you're not good enough. It's probably not going to start. You're not going to be able to fix it. You're going to sit there for 45 minutes, pull on this thing. You're eventually going to have to take it somewhere and pay them to fix it. And all these negative thoughts start rolling through my head. What are yours? What are yours? Because those ants, if you're not careful, it's okay when you got four or five, you can brush them off. But if you're not careful, they start coming together in large groups. And they start wanting to control you. And all of your thoughts about yourself turn negative. So, so here's the question for you. I've been saying it throughout this message, but what if, what if the mirror that we're looking at is actually lying to you? What if what you think is true is not true at all? Because what you're looking at is a funhouse mirror that is distorting things. And what you think is true is not true because the truth is not true. So to see yourself correctly, you've got to look in the right mirror. Right? (coughs) Forgive me. What we're really talking about here is identity. When we talk about identity, there are only two things that are allowed to identify something. One is the manufacturer. The other is the owner. Uh, Let's make it a a practical example. Uh, You go to the store and you buy a basketball. You buy the basketball, and on the front of the basketball, it says Wilson. Wilson is the manufacturer. They are allowed to write on the basketball, Wilson. I then buy the basketball, take it home, and what do I do, dads? I write Simpson in a big permanent marker. Why? Because you go to the gym, and every basketball looks identical to the other basketballs, and somebody's going to try to take your basketball. So you identify your basketball based on who owns the basketball. You cannot identify it until you own it. If you go to Walmart today and go to all the Wilson basketballs and start writing your name on it, you're probably going to get arrested. (laughs) Until you purchase it, until you buy it, you can't identify with it. Are you with me? God the Father is your manufacturer. Before you were conceived, you were in your mother's womb and he was manufacturing your life. Before you ever knew it, he was orchestrating stuff for you. He is your manufacturer. Therefore, you are made in the image of God. You are in his image. But then Jesus paid for you. Jesus on the cross bought you with his blood. And when he bought you, now he has the right and you have the right to identify with him. Come into agreement with him. What he says about me is what's true. I'm identifying with Jesus. If he, if, if he doesn't own you, don't, you, don't need to, you don't need to sign yourself over to him. This is why I don't sign myself over to any job. Any, any man or woman. Why? Because they didn't die for me. They didn't die for me. So because he died for me, because he paid for me, I can now identify with him. And what happens with that? The Bible becomes your mirror that you see and understand who you are through. The Bible becomes that thing. The Bible becomes that picture for you. Every time I I see this, I can't help it. I'm I'm sorry. I'm just going to show my age. But I remember that scene from Cool Runnings. Come on, y'all know what I'm talking about. I see pride. I see power. I can't say the rest of it. But every time, like, like when you look in the mirror, what are you seeing? Because some of us are seeing a negative truth that isn't true. 
It's distorted. And so how do, we, how do we fix that? We are told in the book of James that this Bible, yours too, is a mirror to your life. It shows you what you actually look like. What does he say? Anyone who listens to the words but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Why? You forget what this word says about you because you go away and all the negative thoughts come right back. All the ants start filling up your mind. I can't, I can't, I can't. Instead of opening this word and saying, I can, I can. Come on, are y'all with me? (coughs) So what do we do? We need to open up this mirror and start declaring over ourselves the things that this mirror says. Here's the problem. We don't even know what this mirror says because we're so clogged up with what our own ants are saying in our own minds. We don't even know hardly with this. So let me just help you out. This says you are the first and not the last. This says that you are the head and not the tail. This says that you are chosen by God. This says that you are enough. You are accepted. This says that you are loved no matter your background, no matter your history, no matter what you've done. This says that you are redeemed if you are a child of God. This says that you are complete. You are perfect in his sight. This says that you are forgiven. This says that you are anointed. This says you are created for God's works. This says that you are a temple of God. This says you're not enough. This says, I am enough. Which mirror are you looking at? Which mirror are you looking at? And so, 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 so what did it say? What did it say? Um, 1 Corinthians 10, 5. I'm sorry, I should have had this on a PowerPoint for you. But, 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 but it said what we, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against Christ. So everything that sets itself against this thing, what do we do with it? We don't play with it. We don't just brush it off. We demolish it. We want it gone. That's gone. That's gone. I'm not playing games with it. I'm not storing it in the back room. We demolish every argument and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. That's how we are to handle it. Why? Because that was lying to me. This is telling me the truth. And I am going to look at this word as a mirror for my soul. Not my distorted reflections on my life or what somebody said about me or what I think about myself. And in so doing... All of a sudden, I start speaking life over myself. I am a chosen child of God. I I am everything that God's called me to be. I may not be perfect by any means, but I am God's man. I am God's woman for this place, for this season. I might not be old enough. I might not be educated enough. I might be too young. I might, whatever you might not be. But if God has called you, I start speaking all those things over my life. And I start killing these automatic negative thoughts because I'm thinking on God's things, not all the other things. I'm done. I'm going to share one quick thing with you. One quick thing. This is not only internal. This is also external, by the way. You got to be so careful what you speak over other people. 
You have that prophetic license, that prophetic ability. Your words are powerful. And I cannot speak for every other church in America, but I can speak for Arise. And I will tell you that we are a place that people are going to speak life over other people. Not death. We are not interested in everybody putting each other down, everybody doing that kind of thing. We are going to speak life and encouragement and build one another up. And even when somebody needs correction, we're going to speak life in the way that we correct them because we believe in them. We believe in you. So I'm telling you, man, you, you hear somebody giving some kind of saying something ugly to somebody. Listen, you are a walking temple of God. Don't let somebody talk bad about you. And if you hear somebody, just you, you tell me. I'll take care of it. Pastor, Pastor Ken's our thumper. We'll, we'll, we'll call Pastor Ken. <coughs> we'll, we'll take care of it. We'll call him to the office. Because I joke, but the truth is we will not do that here. We don't have a history of that. I know we got a lot of new people and, and culture shifts when we get new people. These are part of those cultural things that will not shift. We will speak life over people. Why? Because God is speaking life over people, not death. And we are his ambassadors. <laughs> we don't get to speak our own opinions. Every once in a while something happens politically or in the news or whatever. And people get frustrated sometimes because I don't respond the way they want me to respond or as quickly. Let me tell you what. I don't care what you think. I have to listen to what God says. I'm his ambassador. When God says it, I will speak it. I am a preacher of the gospel. So are you, by the way. Therefore, I need to know what the good news in this is. And I will speak that, not my opinion. One of the problems we have with America is we got a lot of people speaking their opinion and nobody speaking God's opinions. We will be different, and that includes when we're speaking over each other. I want to say things that build you up. I want to say things that encourage you, that strengthens you, so that when that prophecy partners with what's going on inside of you, it becomes strong. It becomes powerful. I want to look at all the kids next door and the teenagers in our youth ministry and talk about how God's going to use them, and I can't wait to see how God uses them. I can't wait to see what God does and build something that's inside of them, some internal talk that multiplies what's already going on inside of them. Stand up with me if you would. I'm basically done. <clears throat> I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a father, and as a father, there are certain things that really just bother me. Um, I, I think in this room, many fathers in this room could, could agree with this. One of the things, and I'm sure mothers too, but one of the things that really just bothers me is when our children say ugly things about themselves. It's hard to even put your foot on. Like it's such a, oh, like it's like, never say that. Like your kids say, I can't do this and I'm not this and I'm, all those things. And it's like something inside of you as a parent, you're like, no, no, don't ever speak that over yourself. No, I believe in you. I, you got to believe in you too. And, and it's so internally frustrating when our kids do that. You know, and it's also internally frustrating too when our kids say ugly things about each other. Right? The sibling rivalry that happens sometimes in some houses that, that we got to fight against, man. That's, that's of the devil. You've been watching too many sitcoms thinking that's the way it's supposed to be instead of reading the Bible thinking that's the way it's supposed to be. And so we train our kids to speak life, but, but still sometimes they'll say things that they don't even intentionally mean it sometimes, but they'll say things that are ugly towards one another. And it's like, no, no, as a father, like it, it irks me. And I thought, if that's how it feels for me, how much greater is it for your heavenly father? that can see all of your 70% of your negative thoughts 
70% of all your thoughts are negative. He can see all of them. How much does it hurt the heart of God when we see ourselves through a distorted mirror? And he goes, no, I know you can do this. I see what's in you. I see what nobody else can see that's deep inside of you. And I know if I've called you to do it, you can do it, but you gotta believe in yourself. You can do this. And he knows. But our own negative thoughts hurt us, keep us from accepting God. Maybe we wouldn't say we shrink God, but we certainly shrink ourselves. And in so doing, we usually shrink God into our size. Got to be so cautious, church. So my charge for you, there's some reflection questions in your notes. My charge for you, it's very simple. Start choosing to be thankful, to think on good things. Take that Philippians passage. Think on holy things, good things. Start choosing to accept what God says about you. Not just a Sunday morning where you applaud yourself, but what's going on in your head when you wake up in the morning, when you're driving to work, when negative things come against you. Start choosing to partner your thoughts with God's thoughts about yourself. Don't call it humility to be, you know, negative about yourself. Start choosing to partner. If God says it about me, then I'm going to say it about me. Choose to partner with the good things that people speak over your life. I'm telling you, it's incredibly, incredibly powerful. We've got to quit this bad habit of automatic negative thoughts. One of the things I know about you, um, because God says it in Colossians 3, is that you are chosen. You are chosen. You are chosen. There's some of you in this room that you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And this morning, God wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to partner with you. He wants to be able to speak over your life and, and give you a hope and a future. He, he, he loves you because he's already chosen you. The question is, have you chosen him? His part's already done. And you might not have been chosen by anybody else, but God chooses you. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, would you consider subscribing and sharing this on all your social platforms? If you are moved by the message and would love to share your testimony, please email it to amen at myariseChurch.com. I pray you leave here feeling encouraged. See you next time.